Hey everybody, welcome to a Peach Pit After Dark edition of the Peach Street Post this week. My name is Jason Longshore. I'm a managing editor at Dirty South Soccer. Uh, if you're not following us, as Jarrett Smith, my co-host, would say, you're doing it wrong. Follow us at DirtySouthSoccer.com. Um, on Twitter, we're at Dirty South Sock, and you can find me on Twitter at Longshoe. My co-host, Jarrett Smith, uh, will be back next week. Um, you can razz him for the late-night MLS playoff games being past his bedtime at Jarrett underscore Smith. So we'll start with the playoffs. Um, just so you know, this is being recorded immediately after the Kansas City-Seattle game, uh, which was everything you kind of want in the MLS playoffs, uh, intensity, controversy, all the stuff was on hand in this game. Uh, Benny Failhaber probably left his sanity on the field. Um, if you didn't see, uh, there was a late challenge in the game. Osvaldo Alonso who was already on a yellow card, came in recklessly, I think is fair to say. Um, I've never seen a more split opinion on Twitter uh, from following a game where people said that he wasn't touched to people saying that Alonso should be sent off to fail. left the toe down to get hit all kinds of stuff. I mean, it, the thing is Alonso was on a yellow. It was an incredibly crazy challenge to make at midfield on a yellow studs up. He didn't get in with the studs, but it was studs up. Um, he didn't scissor the leg, which I think is what saved him. Uh, he went in right leg studs up at the ball, missed it, probably tripped Failhaber, got his foot cause Failhaber was running either Failhaber left the foot down or he got hit, whatever Failhaber went down. They didn't call the foul. Um, didn't give a card. Failhaber, uh, stretcher came out. He, he didn't need it. He was fine, but Immediately after that, after the next play, if the ball goes out for a goal kick, Fellhaber lost his mind. Um, and I'm actually shocked he didn't get sent off then. And then after the final whistle after Seattle won, he lost his mind again, had to be pulled back by pretty much everybody with a sporting badge on. It was chaos. Um, personally, if, if I was calling that, and I mean, we do have the benefit of replay we do have the benefit of slow motion all the stuff i think it was a second yellow i think alonzo should have been sent off it was reckless um the fact that there wasn't a ton of con of contact you know doesn't exactly matter in this case it was a reckless challenge for a player who's already on a yellow i think if he wasn't on a yellow there's a good chance he would have got one there so it's it's tough uh Ismail Elfath was the referee, and in general, I've been okay with him this year. I haven't been keeping track of the referees and, and who makes me very, very angry and who doesn't. Uh, Elfath has been one of the ones that I've seemed to have a good memory about. Um, of course, I think with any referee in MLS, that anytime there's a bad call, everybody goes insane on Twitter and goes nuts about it. I don't remember Elfath having other shockers, but I could have just blocked it out. Um, he struggled tonight. He didn't want to go to cards early, which I do understand in a playoff game, but 
things just kept ratcheting up and then he was kind of boxed in. So it was a tough one for him. Um, more on the referees on a goal that was called back from Kansas City. Matt Beasler scored, but it was called back for offside. It was very close. Late in the game, Nelson Valdez scored the winner for Seattle, and it was called back offside. Or it was not called back offside, and it was very close. Um, looked like he was offside on the replay. So Seattle got some benefits here. Um, these things happen. They did have the home field advantage. You don't know if that plays into it or not, but they got Alonzo to remain in the game uh, without that second yellow. And they got a goal that could have been called back offside for Valdez of all people. Nelson Valdez gets the winner. Um, kind of crazy to see him finally get through and you have to, you know, feel good for him because I, I don't think it's ever been an issue with Valdez. Like you've seen with some other, big signings that haven't worked out. I don't think anybody's ever questioned his effort. I think it's just been, it hasn't been good enough. So, you know, he, he got the goal. Schmetzer uh, made a big deal of, of talking about how he deserved it and how he's been a, a just quality professional working hard. So you feel good about that. One thing that stuck out to me early on was Seattle sat back really deep. Um, a little surprising. And Kansas City had chances early on. They didn't take advantage, and it, it came back to bite them. Um, in the playoffs, you don't get as many chances typically. The games are tighter, especially in these knockout games, and you have to take full advantage of your chances. And Kansas City didn't. So, you know, you can, if you're a Kansas City fan, you can yell about the Alonzo tackle, you can yell about the offside for Valdez, you can yell about the offside call on Beasler, but. They had chances to go up early and change the trajectory of the game, and they did not. So these things come back to get you. Um, Alexi Lawless made a point early on talking about sporting Kansas City, and he called them stale. And you wonder after this game and the way they went out, what does sporting Kansas City look like next year? You have Benny Failhaber, who is out of contract now, and... Hasn't resigned. Um, I think there have been some discussions, but he has not signed a new deal. There were some offers on the table uh, from, I believe it was Maccabi Tel Aviv in the summer, and Kansas City declined to transfer him at that time. Uh, will he go to Europe after this season? I would, I would tend to think that it's possible. Um, I don't think he'll be back in Kansas City. You know, you hate to see a player who's played so well for sporting and been such an important piece there leave in the way he did with just losing it on the field after not getting that call. But that is likely his last appearance in a sporting Kansas city Jersey. You know, there's been some questions, uh, you know, would uh, sporting leave him available in the expansion draft for Atlanta or Minnesota? Uh, it's possible, but you know, with the, interest in him uh, in Israel I, I would it'd be a huge risk to pick him up in that draft if he's available um you'd basically be picking up his rights and that's a huge risk with only five spots in the draft I'm I'm not risking it on that I would like to make sure I'm going to pick somebody who's going to be here so you know what else do they change is the question you've had the whole Matt Beasler situation uh 
most of the season where he's been in and out of the lineup. He's had some injuries and Vermi seemed to be reluctant to put him back into the lineup after he recovered. Uh, it's an interesting thing. He started tonight. He played well, but will he be back? Um, there was some interest in Dom Dwyer as well, and, and Sporting declined to sell him at the time. What does Sporting Kansas City look like next year? I, I think Lawless calling them stale might not be necessarily fair, but do they need something new? Um, I think so. I think when you have a manager in the style of Peter Vermees, it's it's hard to keep a core of a team together for more than you know, maybe three years because he's, he's very hard on the players. He pushes, pushes, pushes. He's super intense and you run the risk of players tuning that out over a period of time. I think you saw that with Peter Novak in Philadelphia. Uh, you saw it with him in DC, I believe as well uh, with that style of management. Uh, Vermes probably needs to shake up this roster because he's not going anywhere. He's done too well with that club and he's, he's too entrenched there now. I think you're going to have to see some changes and Failhaber would be one that makes a lot of sense with his contract situation. We'll see what happens with Matt Beasler and we'll see uh, about Dom Dwyer, but those are the three probably figures along with Graham Zusi, and we'll see what's next. Um, Zusi was one tonight who I thought could have done more. Um, he didn't seem to be fully in fully just on tonight. He uh, had some giveaways that were a little uncharacteristic and just didn't, put his stamp on the game as well as he could. You have to give Brian Schmetzer a lot of credit. He made a lot of the right moves, um, believing in Valdez, bringing him on when they wanted to go for it late instead of just you know, packing it in and going for extra time. Schmetzer went for it, and he was rewarded. Um, uh, Seattle's in an interesting spot as well. We talk about this with, with Kansas City, and we'll talk about it some more with other other teams as we go. I don't think Seattle wants to give Brian Schmetzer the job, but he might earn it based off how he does in these playoffs. I think the next series could decide that with Dallas. If Seattle can somehow knock out the supporter shield winners, I think Brian Schmetzer has to be the manager next season. Um, Garth Lagerway and Seattle management probably want to go in a bigger direction. They want a bigger name. Um, they feel like Seattle's a bigger club than that. Schmetzer is Seattle Sounders through and through. He played for the original Sounders. He managed the USL Sounders and won titles. And he's been the assistant and now the interim since they came into MLS. He brought them back from, I believe it is the biggest hole a team has been in and then made the playoffs. He's gotten out of the first round now. If he can somehow pull the upset against Dallas, it would be very hard not to give him the job for next year. And that would kind of paint Garth Lagerway into a corner because he wants to make this team in his own vision. And Schmetzer's not part of that. Schmetzer is part of the original regime. So we'll see what Lagerway does. We'll see where he goes with this. But fun playoff game if you're a neutral tonight. Uh, if you were a Kansas City fan, you were probably still screaming this morning about... Uh, Elfath, the referee, and about Oswaldo Alonso. If you're a Seattle fan, you might still be celebrating and breathing a big sigh of relief. The early game today was just craziness with Montreal 
the scoreline doesn't do it justice. If if you didn't see the game, Montreal went up 4-0 and gave up two late goals when the game was over. So it's a 4-2 final. Montreal knocks DC United out at RFK. Uh, Montreal was solid. I didn't think they were great. I think some of the reviews of the team performance were a little overblown and probably strictly influenced by the scoreline. I thought Montreal had a game plan and executed it well. I thought DC United was awful. Um, one of the worst playoff performances I've seen in, in my history of watching MLS, which goes back to the beginning, they just did not show up. Um, which with the Ben Olsen team is very surprising. There's, there can be a lot of criticism of Olsen and, and what he does as a manager, but to see a team not play for him is, is a shock. That's not, that's not typical. That doesn't happen usually with, with Ben Olsen teams. So what's his situation after this season? Is Ben Olsen a lock to come back in DC or would they potentially look at making a change? You have to ask some serious questions after that performance. You know, is it, was it just the pressure got to them? Was it, I don't know, but to lay an egg like that in the playoffs at home to go down 4-0 at home in a knockout game is unforgivable. It's just one of those things you can't do. And then the substitutions were really bizarre. Um, halftime, he pulled Jared Jeffrey out, uh, brought on Marcelo Sarvas, who Sarvas probably should have started. Um, Olsen kept with the lineup he'd been using late in the season. Uh, it was really odd because Sean Franklin didn't play. Marcelo Sarvas didn't start. Lamar Nagel didn't start. Weird things. Um, so he he brings on Sarvis for Jeffrey, which went from really one dedicated defensive midfielder to two, two because Jeffrey was kind of the box to box in that scenario. So and you were already down at that point, so that was odd. Then to pull Lloyd Sam and bring on Lamar Nagel. Lloyd Sam was pretty effective. Um, he had a couple really good 1v1s early on against Oyongo and could have created more. Uh, Patrick Nyarko didn't really bring anything to the table tonight, so I was surprised that Nagel didn't come on for him. And in the pull, uh, Luciano Acosta late uh, was just, that's the move that I don't know how you how you justify it. You know, Regardless of the score at that point, it's a knockout game. You need offense, and you pull your most creative player. It looked bad. Um he wasn't injured, at least it didn't appear so. It just it sent a bad message. Um, I saw some DC United fans very upset after the game with that move. It's it's just one of those things. The optics of it were very bad, and you have to wonder what the thinking was at that point. Um, I like Julian Boucher who came on. Um, I think Julian Boucher can be a very good pro in this league for years to come, but he's not Luciano Acosta, and he's not the player you bring on for your most creative player when you're down at that point in the game. It just made no sense. So we've talked about, you know, kind of a bit of a soap opera in DC. Montreal has its own issues. Didier Drogba was not in the 18. He was in the stadium, which is strange. He wasn't on the bench. Um, I don't think they have suites at RFK, so he wasn't in a suite. I don't know where he was. Uh, Maybe hanging out with the RFK raccoon. I don't know, but he was there. Um, the whole situation with Drogba is just insanity. And now they're saying he could be in uniform on Sunday. 
uh, when they move on to the next round of the playoffs against the New York Red Bulls. I, they look better without him for one. Um, I think they've played better without him most of the season. I think when he's not there, it opens things up for Ignacio Piatti to be the focal point of the impact going forward. And uh, Mancosu, the forward they signed in the summer is one of the best under the radar signings this season. You know, he didn't get a lot of interest. Nobody really seemed to care about that signing. Everybody's like, Oh, it's a backup for Drogba, whatever. He's been great. Um, he had two goals tonight. That was a huge move. And I think they look better without Drogba. Um, I don't think they need the the drama. We'll see what happens. He's such a big name and you have so much invested in him. It's tough. Uh, I would go without him. If I, if I was Mauro Biello, I would go without him and go with the guys who got this done. The question in the next round for, for Montreal is, you know, it's a real clash of styles with the Red Bulls. The Red Bulls are going to want to high press. Montreal is going to want to counter. Um, Montreal's not the fastest team, and I wonder how they'll be able to keep up with with New York's speed um, and their pressing. Uh, it's it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be very tactical. I'd like to see what adjustments uh, Jesse Marsh and Marabiello make in these two games, but they'll kick off on Sunday. We'll see where that one goes. Uh, right now, I would I would have to pick the Red Bulls. I'd be pretty surprised if Montreal can can get by them and. Uh, like we talked about with Seattle and Dallas, I didn't really make a prediction, but I just don't see Seattle getting through. I mean, it would it would save Schmetzer's job if if they did, but I think Dallas is Dallas can figure it out now without Mara Diaz. They have more depth than they've had. They have some ways to replace him. Um, they don't have to go away from their formation like they did in the past without him. They can just kind of shift some guys around and. Maybe it's a little more defensive than they would like to be, but this is playoff soccer and they're going for the treble. So I think Dallas gets by Seattle fairly comfortably. I think Montreal gives the Red Bulls a good challenge, but the Red Bulls get through. Um, yesterday's games, well, Wednesday's games, if you're listening on Friday morning, uh, LA did what they do. They turned it up at playoff time, won pretty comfortably. Emma Boateng had you know kind of his coming out party with the Galaxy. Great first goal, very good second goal. Boateng's a, a handful. What jumped out to me about that game, and I was glad to see it get mentioned in the, the press, was Landon Donovan's work rate. I mean, one, Donovan's starting playoff games at this point, which I don't think anybody expected when he re-signed to the Galaxy late in the season. But his work rate, especially defensively, was amazing. And there was one play late where... Uh, There was an overlapping run from the fullback behind him from Robbie Rogers and Donovan tracked back about 80 yards and made a tackle to force a throw in. Um, If if there's anybody who doesn't have to make those types of plays, it's a Landon Donovan and he's out there killing himself for this team. You have to respect that. Uh, Salt Lake is in a spot that we've already talked about with a couple teams. They're going to have to make some changes. The, the core of that group is is getting very long in the tooth. The glory days, I think, are over. And Jeff Kassar, I think, found some success sticking with what Jason Christ did for as long as he could. You've, you've seen him start to make some little changes to the Christ system that, that built Salt Lake. But his core guys, you know, when you're looking at Nick Ramondo, who still has more time in him, Kyle Beckerman, who I think can keep playing at a good level for another year or two. 
Javier Morales, who I don't think is a 90-minute player now, and with another year, I think that's going to be even lessened. And then, I mean, you have to add Hamas and Alave into that mix too. Salt Lake needs a makeover drastically. And, you know, there was some conversation. We had the wish list today for the expansion draft with Salt Lake. And what do they do? Um, do they leave some of these guys unprotected? You know, do they leave a Kyle Beckerman unprotected? He's the one, him and Ramondo, I think, are going to stick around and have another year or two in them. Do they leave Javier Morales unprotected? Um, I think they're going to have to. When we started doing the numbers, Rob and I, on this piece, they've got some tough decisions. And I think it's the smart move for them is to risk it that somebody would take Javier Morales over one of their younger players that you'd rather keep. Um, I just, I don't think you can protect him at this point in his career and they're going to have to make these moves. I don't know exactly what they're going to do. They do have young talent. Uh, Burrito Martinez is a fun player to watch. Joao Plata is one of my favorite players in the league. Um, they have some pieces in the back. Uh, they're the cupboard's not completely bare with Salt Lake, but those core figures either have to transition into more secondary roles or are going to have to move on. And we'll see how Salt Lake handles that challenge. It's never easy. It's, it's never easy to make those moves because you, you don't want to blow things up and not have a plan to, to fix it. But I think they're at the point they've went as far as they can with what they have, and they're going to have to change it if they want to get out of this, you know, middle of the West uh, spot, you know, this fifth, sixth spot in the playoffs. Uh, the first game yesterday, Toronto looked like the contender that you know, they have looked like at times this year. It hasn't been consistent. Um, there were times where I thought Toronto was going to win MLS Cup going away, and there were times that I thought they'd be the fourth seat. So they got the job done with Philadelphia. Philadelphia's not quite there yet. We'll see what, what Ernie Stewart does in, in a, another offseason. Uh, I think Jim Curtin will be back. I don't think there's any real risk of that happening, um, any changes there. I think Ernie Stewart's going to want to add a few more pieces. Uh, Bedoya was a good piece for them. Um, he definitely improved that team. They have more to do, um, and we'll see where they go. Toronto and New York City FC, I think, is the best matchup in the next round. Um, LA-Colorado will be a tight matchup, but I think it'll be pretty defensive. It might not be that much fun to watch. Toronto and NYCFC could be high-scoring could be just absolute chaos. It, I That's the one I'm looking forward to. I picked New York City FC to win the whole thing, uh, which still kind of surprises me. That's the direction I went, but I'm going to stick with that. And I believe they get by Toronto in one of the most entertaining MLS playoff series of all time. Uh, I hope I hope that comes true. I want some, some fun soccer to watch in its next round. Uh, usually, and this, this is going from memory, I have to go back and study it a little bit, but Going from memory, the first legs are usually pretty tight. So this weekend, the Sunday games might not be the most exciting. The following weekend will be bonkers, just as Darren Eels would say, crackers. It's going to be nuts. Um, it's going to be very cagey in the first legs. So especially L.A., Colorado, I don't think either one's going to want to give anything up. Um Seattle and Dallas, I think, will be pretty defensive, too, in the first leg. Hopefully, Toronto and NYCFC go nuts and just run wild. We'll see where that one goes. Um, it's going to be fun on Sunday. Four games in a row on TV. 
uh, get the popcorn, snacks, beers, everything ready for a quadruple header of playoff soccer. It was a lot of fun last year. I'm glad they've scheduled it that way. I had I really enjoyed it last year watching those games all in a row. So we've went through the playoffs, um, talked about the knockout round. Let's get caught up on some Atlanta United news from the week. Uh, not a ton, but there's a few things that I want to want to cover with you guys before I go. Uh, first off was the off-season schedule coming out for MLS. So we, we know what the, the calendar looks like now. Um, we knew the expansion draft. We knew where that was. But now we know, all right, there's going to be a trade window on Sunday after MLS Cup, which will be quite entertaining. Um, the general managers will not be going to the after parties after MLS Cup because they'll be ready for a three-hour trade window from 9 to noon Sunday morning. Um, there will be moves made. If you go back and you look at expansion history, expansion teams generally make moves ahead of the expansion draft. I think you'll see both Atlanta and Minnesota active. You could see some players, you could see some allocation money traded for players. You could see uh, super draft spots traded, international slots. Atlanta's going to be looking for some international slots. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, things will happen in that trade window. And not just the expansion team's busy. I think everybody will be. But Atlanta and Minnesota, I would expect both of them to make at least one move in that three-hour trade window Sunday morning, December 11th. Um, it's not a transfer window. I want to make that clear. It is strictly trades within the league um, and trades for players that can be done in that move. If you, if Atlanta wanted to trade for an international slot today and trade allocation money to somebody, they could. I, it might not get announced until later, but they could. That move could be made ahead of time. Uh, MLS clarified that in their announcement. Trades involving stuff and not players can be made at any time. So that trade window will allow players to move ahead of the expansion draft. So we'll see some wheeling and dealing happen here. The expansion draft is December 13th. It's on a Tuesday. It's going to be at 2 o'clock Eastern. The player available player list will be made public the day before, probably about 24 hours before. So let's say 2 o'clock on Monday, worst case, into business on Monday. Um. In the expansion draft, I'm still sticking with with kind of my goals out of it. I think you need three starters out of that expansion draft and probably two solid contributors, about a thousand minutes of playing time. Um, these are key guys off the bench and in a rotation. So all five guys you get here need to give you something in 2017. Immediately after the expansion draft or at five o'clock that day, free agency opens. Players who are eligible for free agency in MLS have been in the league for eight years and are 28 years old or older. So that's how you, and they're out of contract. That's how you qualify for free agency. Last year was the first year you had, I think, 12 players sign in free agency. I might be wrong. There might have been a couple more. I think you'll see a few more this time. Um, one player who uh, has been announced so far is Chad Barrett from San Jose. Uh, he told local media in San Jose that they're not going to pick up his option. Uh, the earthquakes are not. He was actually a free agent signing for them this year. So he will go into that free agent pool um, this season. And that opens up again, five o'clock after the expansion draft. 
Then you'll have the waiver draft and the reentry draft that week uh, on Thursday and Friday. And the available players for both will come out a day before those drafts. I think the waiver draft is a little harder to guess as to who might be available. Last year, Colorado picked up Michael Azira, who's been very good for them. Um, he's the only one who came out of the waiver draft who was a big contributor this year. I think Atlanta and Minnesota will definitely be looking for something in that waiver draft. Um, worst case for depth, but if you get lucky and get you hit on an Azira-type player, you need it because you don't want to have to go outside the league for everybody. You want to have players with experience in the league. The reentry draft, I think, is important. I think you're going to want to get two guys who play a good bit out of that reentry process, and there's two stages to it. The first stage, again, reentry draft are that's players who don't qualify for free agency but are out of contract. Either their option wasn't picked up or their contract is is up. And if you pick them in stage one, you basically pick up their option or roll over their contract for another year. So there's no negotiation. You take them at the number they're at from a salary cap perspective. If you wait till stage two to pick somebody up, then you can renegotiate it. Um, Basically, you're getting their rights in stage two and you strike the deal you want to strike with that player. So stage one will be guys who you think you can you can swallow the number they're on and you you have to get them then. You don't want to risk it. So Atlanta and Minnesota will pick at the end. Um, it goes in reverse order from this season. So you don't get a huge advantage. You're picking at the end. But a lot of teams pass in this because a lot of teams will have cap issues. Atlanta and Minnesota will not. So I would expect that both of them pick up two to three players in the reentry draft. Um, there's a piece on Dirty South Soccer I wrote this week kind of following this process. It gives you the timeline. In January, you have the Super Draft Combine out in L.A., and then the Super Draft follows that, where, again, I think if, if you're Carlos Bocanegra and Tata Martino, you want to get two players who contribute, and your first pick you want to be a starter day one. So Super Draft, there's going to be talent. Um, we did see this week that Jeremy Ebobise is training with Minnesota, which it makes total sense. I mean, he was in Charleston. Their season's over. Uh, he's not playing college because he already signed a deal with MLS. So what's he going to do? Go train with Minnesota so they get, they get a look at him uh, with their NASL team so they can kind of compare him. Makes sense. Um, there's nobody else in the Super Draft that you could do that with. So you'd be dumb not to take that look. Doesn't mean they're going to pick him. Um, I think there's still some movement in Minnesota to take Jackson Newell from UCLA, who's a Minnesota kid, with that first pick that they have in the Super Draft. But they're kicking the tires on Ebabise. And I know a lot of Atlanta fans really want to see Atlanta United get Jeremy Ebabise. We'll have to see what Minnesota does first. Um, I think Ebabise has the potential to be a very special talent and whoever gets him is going to be is, is definitely going to benefit from that selection but there's other guys too uh we've talked about ul we've talked about abu dunladi from ucla um there's some players who could sign homegrown deals ahead of the draft and there's some players who might not there's going to be some generation adidas guys that we don't know who they are just yet some underclassmen who come out it's the super draft kind of jockeying will really start as the college season starts to end for players. Um, 
you're starting to get close to the conference tournaments now, and then you'll get into the NCAA tournament. After that's when you'll start to hear negotiations about players looking for those generation Adidas deals who might try to try their hand in Europe, who will stick with MLS. That's going to be a fun follow and it'll, that'll give us, you know, something to cover deep after the expansion draft, waiver draft, re-entry draft, chaotic week. Uh, we'll get deep into the super draft at that point. Uh, we'll, I'm definitely working on building up a big board and start talking about some of the college prospects ahead of the NCAA tournament because, I mean, I'm a sports fan. The NCAA tournament is a lot of fun, that tournament format. And, you know, I, I try to watch some of the, the big college soccer games at that point. You know, we'll see if any of the local teams get there. Georgia Southern played really well in, in Clemson the other night, uh, lost late. Uh, Georgia State um, has been okay. Southern seems to be really, you know, turning the corner. Mercer's had a decent season. Uh, we'll see if any of the local talent pushes through, but there are some big programs to keep an eye on, and we'll be looking at that talent and see who could be in the Super Draft. We'll keep you guys posted. Um, some other Atlanta United news this week. Uh, the Coventry Telegraph today did a review of Coventry City players that they have on loan at the moment. And Chris McCann holding midfielder is there and he was uh, given a really good review. He was given a seven out of 10. Um, They talked about the calm and kind of class he brings to the midfield, uh, even in that deep lying role. talked about his passing being a huge benefit. The biggest negative is he's had a few injuries and this is something to keep an eye on um, while he's there. He had a groin injury uh, maybe about a month ago. He just had a hamstring injury. He's unsure about this weekend if he's going to play or not. You don't want him to come into training camp dinged up. So we'll see kind of what that looks like, how much playing time he gets between now and December 31st when his loan ends at Coventry. They don't have a deep squad. So if he's fit to play, he's going to play. Um hamstrings can be tricky though. You know, you don't want to see him push to get back in the lineup and play over there and just keep tweaking it. And you come into training camp hurt and then he doesn't get to train with the team and then he's not in sync and then he's behind schedule. You don't want that. So I'm sure the uh, Atlanta United front office is keeping a very close eye on it and probably giving some very, uh, Forceful suggestions not to play him if he's injured. Uh, We'll see if anything comes of that. The Carolina Challenge Cup was announced. uh, One, it's coming back, which is great. And two, Atlanta United is going to be part of it. So this is how they will close out their preseason next year in Charleston um, with some MLS competition and against the battery. It's a a fun tournament. Uh, Round Robin, they'll play Sunday or Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. This will go on the right before the regular season starts. So these will be the last three games as part of preseason. And you would expect that the squad is pretty much decided on at this point. Maybe there's some competition for who's going to get more playing time. Maybe some starting lineup spots are still to be decided. But you should get to see them really prepping for opening day in Charleston. There's already talk about lots of Atlanta United fans going over for it. I'm sure that was part of the decision-making process for the battery to invite Atlanta to be part of this. Uh, They should get some 
nice hotel stays and some boost to the economy over there. So that's always a good thing. Um, let us know uh, here at the Peachtree Post if you're heading over. We're uh, we're talking about it. I'd like to at least make one of the games and probably one of the Saturday games. I'm not sure if it's going to be the first one or the last one, but. Uh, Charleston's a fun place to visit. If you haven't been, it's definitely uh, highly recommended by me. I've been a few times, but it's been a while. So looking forward to getting back over there and looking forward to seeing Atlanta United close out their preseason there. The other big news uh, today, um, yesterday, if you're listening to this on Friday, is the Atlanta United Foundation launch. So this is something I know a little bit about. Um, I uh, previously worked for Soccer in the Streets, who partnered with Atlanta United and the Arthur Blank Foundation on lots of different projects and some of the ones that were announced today. Um, And this is Atlanta United's own foundation, which uh, the Falcons have their own foundation under the Arthur Blank Foundation. Now Atlanta United does as well. And the first project that was fully unveiled is the mini soccer pitch at the five points Marta station, which is a very cool project. Um, going to be an opportunity for kids from all over the city to ride Marta, come together, play, but also for adults to play, hopefully pick up, but also league play. Um, tons of social media around it, tons of pictures, lots of cool stuff. Our own Harris Kruskik was there today and there'll be a piece or was, it was there Thursday. Sorry. I'm confused on if I'm in the future or not. Uh, Harris was there and he's got a report coming uh, later on Friday about kind of what what all went down and, and some of the quotes from Darren Eels um, and the others on hand. So that's a, a fun project. We'll see you know what else is is on tap for the Atlanta United Foundation. You know, I can speak from experience. The the Blank Foundation was great to work with. They are truly invested in the community and improving it and and all of my dealings with them were were always top notch um i would expect the atlanta united foundation to be nothing less and if you look at the great things the falcons foundation does on behalf of of the nfl team i think you'll see the same on the mls side and you know arthur blank always says uh first class or nothing. So his foundation is obviously going to be first class and they're going to try to use soccer as a way to impact as many people and kids in the Metro Atlanta and and whole state. If you, as you saw the logo, it it has the state of Georgia in the middle. Um, They're going to try to use this foundation to impact as many lives as possible. And they're off to a great start. So kudos to everybody involved on that one. Um, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. This is a little bit shorter than our usual Peachtree posts. Like I said, this is more of a Peach Pit After Dark edition. Uh, Jarrett Smith will be back with us next week, and hopefully we'll have some more Atlanta United news to cover. Um, it's been a quite a process, and I, I saw quite a few different people mention now that this off-season schedule is there. It's like, oh, it feels real now. We kind of know exactly when you're going to add players, what days, and you'll know when you'll know who who could be available, and you can start to plan for these things. Um, it's definitely feeling more real now than it has. So uh, get ready. Um, MLS playoffs on Sunday, quadruple header. 
Uh, I'd love to hear your picks. Share them with us at on Twitter at Peachtree underscore post. Tell your friends about the podcast. We've been we've been growing steadily, and you know I can definitely speak for Jared on this. We really really appreciate all the support and all the the feedback from you guys. Um, we want this to be you know as informative as possible fun and you know try to give you a different perspective so if there's ever anything you'd like for us to get into please share it with us i'm on twitter at Longshoe. peachtree post is peachtree underscore post jarrett is at jarrett underscore smith on twitter and with that i will bid y'all adieu and see you next time